Welcome to Dice Talk. This week's episode will be unlike any other that we have ever had before. This week, we do not have a guest, or even a topic. We will not be having conversations about Dungeons & Dragons or any other tabletop role-playing game. Instead, we are presenting to you a short, actual-play mini-series of Call of Cthulhu. I will be your keeper of arcane lore, and we have three of our cast members from Wolf for Weird here with us for this amazing playthrough. I know that this is not our normal format for the show, and our future episodes will return to the interview-style content that you are used to hearing on Dice Talk. But we had an amazing time recording these episodes for you, and I think you will enjoy them just as much as we did. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Can the three of you introduce yourselves and let us know what characters you'll be playing tonight? Sure, I'll go first. I'm Jurundu. I'm playing uh, Nevada Jones, the archaeology professor. I'm Dragon. I'm playing Louise Russo, and I'm an engineering student. I am Danny, and I am playing Kiko Kane, a science student. We begin our story in Arkham, Massachusetts, in the year 1926. The three of you find yourself in the waiting room of the Miskatonic Teaching Hospital Medical Ward. You've been called to the side of one Rupert Merriweather, one of the retired professors from the university and a celebrated anthropologist across the world. You all are very close to Mr. Merriweather, and if for one reason or another, been called to visit him in a hospital where he is now in critical condition. He's been sick for some time, and it's been a while since you have spoken to him. But he has now called you to come visit him, and it seems with a sense of urgency. Uh, hi there, can I help you? Yes, I'm here to see Professor Merriweather. Oh, yes, um, I... Actually, he was saying he expected visitors today. I'm sorry, he, he said that he wasn't accepting visitors for some weeks now, so it... It almost slipped my mind. Um, but yeah, we, we were expecting you. Were, were these two with you as well? And she kind of notices these other two people in line that like seem to like have noticed that you said the name Rupert Merriweather and perhaps you even recognize them or know them in some way. Well, nice to meet you, nice lady type people. I'm uh, Professor Nevada Jones from the archaeology department. I've... Uh, I, I come and see my, uh, he's kind of like my mentor, the, the Professor Rupert Merriweather. He's a, a very dear friend of mine. Nice to meet you. Well, if we're all here to see the same poison, then we, we should just go ahead and go see him. So, you are together then? Um, I suppose so. All right, well, sure. Um, that's not a problem. Let me just go ahead and um, mark that you're visiting him. What were, what were your names again? I, I got yours. Professor Nevada... Nevada Jones. Yeah, and, and what was yours, ma'am? Keiko Kane. Keiko Kane, all right. She's scribbling it down. And you? Uh, Louise Rusko. All right. Very well. Well, just go ahead and um, if you go through those double doors right down there, if you go down, he's in room 1302. It should be on the left. And um, just make sure you check out on the way out so we, uh, you know, we know that... We don't like to have visitors. We can't lock up at the night until, you know, until we know where everybody is and all that. So just make sure you check out and don't just 
take off. Sometimes a lot of students aren't so responsible. I'm sure you know Professor Jones. Oh, absolutely. They are terrible, terrible people. I have to watch them all the time. <laughs> Make sure they're not up to mischief and get it into scrapes. Those damn pesky kids. Well, I'm I'm sure you won't have to worry about us. No, I'm sure. Come on, let's go see the professor. <laughs> I'm already walking down the hallway. Grundu, your voice reminds me of Adam Sandler. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Come on, let's go. We need to go see the Professor Merriweather. It's like Billy Madison. Billy Madison, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. All right, well, I'll follow you. Anyways, she's like, notices you start walking away and you just hear her say like, all right, next. And like someone else files in behind you and you all are making your way towards these double doors. Um, you know, when you open them, they're not locked or anything. You find yourself in the long hospital hallway and eventually you go down not too far, a couple hundred feet. And sure enough, there's the room you were looking for. Now, you're each particularly close with this 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 man in some way or another. And so it's probably a, like a slightly heart wrenching to see because even though you've known he's sick and stuff and maybe been expecting his, his impending doom, seeing it is a different thing. And when you turn in the corner and look in the room, you see him laying on this bed. There's a blanket pulled up. He looks pale. He looks a lot thinner than the last time you had seen him. He seems to be hooked up to various bags of fluids and things like that. Um, once again, this is the 1920s. So there, there aren't like electronic monitors and things like that, but there are uh, a, a dozen or so apparatuses seemingly hooked up to this man's body um, that are either monitoring him or keeping him alive. And he seems conscious and he, you actually see him weakly turn and look at you all. And he's like, Oh, (coughs) Oh, you're here. (coughs) And he's like, moves with a start. Like Rupert, I've had a, I've had a sense of your impending doom for some time now, but I never thought I'd see you quite so bad as this. Do you need a drink? Can I get you some water? No, you're I, looking I'm, well. I'm, I'm quite all right. <laughs> I I wasn't sure you you would all come. Just the scribblings of an old man. I always thought you had a very nice script. Please come in, come in, shut the door. It's just shut the door, please. I shut the door after everyone comes in. So you're now in this room, and it's just the four of you. This old man that you know as a longtime professor, a, a treasured member of the um, Collegiate Society. He is like a really high-ranking professor. He's like in charge of entire you know programs at this very, very prestigious university. And yeah, he's, he's like whittled down to this withering, dying state. He's probably in his 80s or so. He looks at you all. I, I've... I, I know this is strange after I've been avoiding everyone for so long, but my shame has gotten the better of me, I'm afraid. I I couldn't think of anyone else I trust more than the three of you. I'm assuming you've met. I know it's... I know you don't know each other, but I trust you each individually more than... Well, in this particular matter, more than my own family. What's happening, Professor? You see... And he, he looks like he's almost like shaking and stuff, like almost like he's like cry, like about to cry. He's been holding this in for so long. In my youth, I and some fellow students, some friends of mine, we became involved in what well, at the time was just a, a cultural expo- exploration, of course, but it turned into more of an innocent exploration of the occult. 
and such matters. As rabbit holes go, you know, I suppose we fell through. Led, We were led by an older man, a, a, one of my own professors, when I attended this very university, a man named Marion Allen, and, well, the six of us, we purchased this old farmhouse a few miles down the road. Mr. Allen paid for it in full. He was, he was insistent. He even gave us credits for it. It was, it was quite odd indeed, but quite alluring at the same time. Well, anyways, it's a few miles west of Arkham in, in, in a town called Ross's Corner. Yes, yes, that place over there, no doubt you've heard of it. Ross's Corner, that's the place where they have the, the really good pumpkin I, pies. Yeah, but not much else, as, as I'm sure you know. It's, it's, a, it's a very rural community, especially compared to this place. Oh, yeah, this is a bustling metropolis. What's, what's the farmhouse, Professor? What, what is it? Well... He bought it because it was a safe space for us to delve into matters that are unfit for this fine university. And, well, we... And he, like, looks down and we could conduct seances and other psychiacal research and privacy and, and... quite cautiously, away from anyone else who shan't suffer for our foolhardiness. Professor, that is so dangerous. This was 45 years ago. Come, come now. I can't see that there's any harm could come from such adolescent pranks. There's like no scientific basis for any of this mumbo-jumbo. So you're saying you don't believe in that? I don't believe a single word of this. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. I mean, come on. Obviously, there's something that has disturbed you greatly, Professor, to come to us with uh, with these talkings, but come on. I, Professor Jones, I don't please. credit that there's, well, there's magic no in the world. I, I would not be telling you this if it was not true. Alas, our, our work was very real, and it had very real, unforeseen results. I respect you a great deal, Professor, so I will hear you out and... And I will do my best to honor what you what you want. <laughs> I can't keep a straight face. I'm so sorry. It's all right. I'll really do, do my best to honor <laughs> what you want, Professor. But uh, I I apologize. I I'm sorry for interrupting you there. <laughs> I'm gonna have to fucking change this. <laughs> no, you're not. You can't. You must commit. <laughs> it's gonna collapse every time I open my mouth. It's quite all right, Nevada. I. <laughs> it was your, your, your humorous demeanor that made us so close in the first place. You can always bring a smile to my face. You're bringing a tear to my eye, Professor. Alas, uh, you see our last experiment that we made. Well, it was more successful than most. What? What happened? We summoned what. I re- regret to, to fully believe as an evil force into this world. Of course, that was not our intention, but instead of attempting to expel the thing that I wouldn't even call it a creature, its form was indescribable. It, well, we fled. We we left it there, and we, we, we very irresponsibly, I'll admit, did, did nothing to try to send it back to where it came. We, we were terrified. Wait, when did this happen? This was... Oh, nearly 
50 years ago now. You let a dark creature out into the world and left it for 50 years. I and many others, it was... It, it was the professor's... The professor's plan, of course. We were just students. Just like you. It wasn't on purpose. Fuck this shit out. Oh. <laughs> so for 50 years, there's been a monster trapped somewhere in a farmhouse. That sounds like a terrible idea. Well, we left and we planned maybe we could find a way to send back eventually. But our cowardice got the better of us and, well, it's trapped there. So how? At least, I hope so. 50 years have passed and... and and it's only my memory that keeps it alive, but... But listen to me, this this is not any sort of joke. We left it in that vacant house, and eventually we discovered a spell that could bind it... Bind it there properly, and unless it's been tainted with, it should still be bound there. How is it bound there, Professor? How does it not escape the house and wreak havoc on the rest of the world? Well... Professor Allen, Marion Allen, who I, I said before convinced us to join him in, in these investigations, he seemed a great deal more knowledgeable about such things, and he was able to create some sort of wards, I believe, that are keeping it there, and that's that's why it's still bound, as, as far as I know. I, I haven't checked. I won't even drive to that side of the city. Professor. But the reason I called you here is not... Because there's a creature bound somewhere in a farm, but because I fear it, it won't be bound there much longer. What? Why not? You see, I am the last of my group that has not yet been embraced by death. And I believe that when I pass, the thing will go free and wreak havoc on the folks here and there and all about... I'm much too old now, much too ill, and and much too of a coward to go back to that house to go banish it myself, but to you, but the three of you, I trust the three of you with my life, and you must do the thing. I can tell by by your surprise and your 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 appalled face at my choices that you know in your heart I, you must do what I could not. I don't know if I know that in my heart. I mean, I've studied I've studied the occult to some extent, Professor. I understand it intellectually, but the I don't believe. I'm not a believer. How am I supposed to know how to do the spells and the thing? He says, please, here. And he's like, leans up. He's like, <coughs> he like leans over to the side and he like shaking. He like pulls out this box and it's like this box wrapped in this black uh, fabric. And he's like, take this. I take the box. This has everything you need inside. Can I open the box? If you start moving, he's like, no, not in here. It's not safe. There's no telling what... Who's watching or listening? Go somewhere, s somewhere quiet, secluded, and make sure you're not followed. Okay. Professor Nevada. Yes? Um, you have an office, yes? Absolutely I do. Let's go there. That might be the most secure place on campus. Okay, that makes sense to me. Professor. Yes? When did you figure out you had the spell that could banish this creature? Well, Alan figured it out at least 15 years ago, I would say. Oh, Jesus. But, well, he said he was going to get some help, and he never returned. 
the newspapers said he was murdered. Some strange symbols found all over his body's incisions made. Demonic things. Things even beyond my own comprehension. And you all have just been sitting on it. Professor, I thought he liked all of us, but apparently not. Um, Who was I going to send my only son? I thought you liked me. This, this sounds like the work of the agricultural college. Those rascals. <laughs> Please, just... I wouldn't have come to you if I thought there was any other way. Please. <coughs> and he starts, like, coughing profusely. He's coughing so much that two doctors come in, one of which is smoking a cigarette, and they both rush over and they're like, please, please, we ask you to leave. And they're like coming over and like checking on him and stuff. And they're like, at, like kind of ushering you out. And he's like goes into like a fit of coughing and stuff. And they're like trying to calm him down and stuff. And then he turns around and they're like, we need you to step out to the waiting room, please. And as you leave the room, you just hear in the distant, like as you make your way out, just <coughs> just like just horrific coughing noise continuing. <laughs> That's right. Now come to my office. It's 1926, and I'm a man. So you gotta do what I say. <laughs> well, well then, ladies, to my office. In 1920s, we have no choice. No, you are absolutely free to leave of your own volition at any time. But please don't. Please come to my office. <laughs> yeah, we'll follow you to your office. I'm keeping an eye out, Jeremy, to make sure we're not being followed. I've got some ridiculous 1920s, like, jalopy car. This lousy machine! I, we're on campus. Couldn't we walk to your office? Well, maybe, but I'm really lazy. Oh, okay. I guess we get into his car. So you guys um, just drive across campus. You know the campus really well. He, this is his car. You can obviously drive it. And you, uh, in just a, a matter of 10 or 15 minutes or so, are able to make your way outside of the social sciences building and uh you know he can lead you up and he knows exactly where his office is so how how would you all like to approach this <laughs> i get lost like two or three times <laughs> it was the, the second or the third on the left it was no was it the right here's my office and then we were in my office and we're sure this is a secure location there's just like Loose papers and like open books just left on the side, and like plates of like half eaten sandwiches that have just been left. It's a very sort of like absent minded sort of guy who's like in the middle of like reading books and just leaves them. I'm sorry about the mess, I wasn't expecting company. I'm gonna clear his desk a little bit and I'm going to put the box on the table, look at it, and then start to open it. Before you do that, can I, like, examine it and see if I know anything about it with my archaeological knowledge? Well, it's a, it's like a box that's kind of like a misshapen rectangular box, a little bit longer than a shoebox, probably, and more narrow, a little bit more narrow, um, and it's wrapped in a black cloth. So if you were to untake, take off the cloth, yeah, take off the cloth. what you see immediately is a very... Egyptian looking box. It seems to be some sort of metallic, either it's either made of metal or it's coated in metal. Um, some sort of box that has all these so that though you might not know what they mean right away upon observation, but it's very, very Egyptian in motif. Um, there's like this lapis inlet jewels that are uh, throughout it. it has like this like gold leaf painted on it. The box itself looks incredibly valuable, incredibly authentic and, and, literally looks like you mr jones probably are looking at this as 
Like, that belongs in a museum. Like, it looks like... This absolutely belongs in a museum. I can't believe he has this box for What looks to be a small Egyptian sarcophagus. It is obviously not a true sarcophagus because it is... You're able to carry it. Um, it looks like it could barely even fit maybe like a crow or something. You know, it's it's kind of large, but it's certainly not large enough to be an actual casket. Um, and it is authentic. Like this looks, I mean, you're you're pretty convinced you're holding something that's worth, even at the time period, probably forty, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. You know, oh. this is extremely valuable. This is like an extremely valuable artifact, unless it's just a um, very good replica. I mean, it could be a fake. It looks, it certainly looks authentic. Well, yes, Professor Jones, why don't you take a look at it? And... Professor Jones, make an archaeology check. That's uh, 30. Oh, so that's under, under a 70. Uh, it is a hard success. Yeah, you are like, yeah, like a minute ago, like you're, this really belongs in a museum. This is serious. This is authentic. As far as you know, based on your expertise, based on the fact that you yourself have, in your studies, gone to Egypt and have found nothing as glorious as this, but you have found artifacts and things. This is like crazy. This is like, this would make someone's career. This must be serious. If he's if he was willing to hide it all these years, he could have made his name as an Egyptologist. The find like this. What if we just sell this and not go to the creepy <laughs> farmhouse and do what Professor Merriweather says? It's probably not real. Maybe. Maybe not oh, real. I'm certain it's not real. There's no scientific evidence for any of that. I will say with your hard success, you do not specifically know what it says. You do know that um, in the main grand library on campus that they would have the means to translate this through lots of study. Um, but you also know that a dear friend of yours, Dr. Henry Armitage could also help you to translate this box. And he is uh, the lead librarian at the library. And he is also one of the main professors at the Miskatonic university. Well, what does it say? I don't think I can read hieroglyphics. I can understand Latin and English. And those are my languages. I don't, I don't speak ancient Egyptian. Well, I do know a guy who might be able to help us translate it, but do we trust do we trust anybody else with this kind of knowledge? Well, I don't think we show him the box. I think we maybe write down a copy of it. Oh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I do think that we should write down hieroglyphics or take a picture of some kind well no never mind this is the 1920s can't just just can't instantly have a photo yeah photo's probably not gonna be a i have i have some charcoal and some paper we yeah, could do a, a, a yeah, rubbing yeah, yeah, yeah. or something a, a rubbing yes a rubbing would be an excellent way of doing that i do this kind of thing all the time on tombs so you're you're doing a rub of the box so you don't have to actually like carry it no we're gonna carry it just not for him to see it because I, oh, I don't, I don't okay. trust leaving it here in case somebody has been following us. But I also don't trust this guy to just read the box. So I'm going to slip it into my puss. Okay, yeah, Dr. Jones, I mean, like you said, you've done this before in actual tombs and things. So you are pretty good at this. So you're able to, without much effort and without wasting too much time, make a decent rub of this. It, it takes a few pieces of paper. How much of it are you trying to get? Like all the different symbols and things on the side. There are like mainly on top are the most symbols going right there over the, like I guess the stomach or the torso of the motif of the pharaoh. 
or is that the like the only part you're trying to make a copy of or how much of this thing i'd probably just like wrap wrap the whole box in like a bit of paper and like do like a like get like, trying yeah. all the way around yeah and i think you probably possible. like you're not even using like wax like you probably have charcoal just for this specific yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and you're able to make a rub of this pretty pretty quickly um and yeah so yeah you have yourself this kind of like long almost like scroll type thing that is a not a perfect uh perfect recording but you know you got a lot of the main symbols on there for translation cool beans where is your friend at doctor probably the library's the head librarian oh i love the library let's go it's one of the finest in North America. It's beautiful. The Miskatonic Library is world famous. You can find all your answers in the library. Reading is fundamental. <laughs> okay, so just to be clear, there is no attempt to open the box. No. No. Okay. Okay. Just just to be clear. I I place it in my purse. It might contain ancient Egyptian heebie jeebies. I don't want any of that. <laughs> Are those like cooties? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what's your plan? To, your plan of action here? Are you getting going to the jalopy and you're going to drive it over to the library? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Quite nice lady type people in the back of the jalopy. <laughs> lady type. Just... We're not ladies. We're just the type. <laughs> lady type people. All right. Just so we can really paint ourselves a picture, could you give us like an example of what the jalopy's horn sounds like? <laughs> <laughs> One more time. <laughs> 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 a majestic goose podcast. <laughs> I'm a. It's got another. It's got another one that goes. <laughs> I'm going to um pull the box out when we're in the car again, just to look it over. I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm just getting a closer look at it. When you go to look at this box. It's almost like it's giving off some sort of crazy, like, dark aura. Like, the box is beautiful. Everything about it makes it look like it's just this wonderful, like, larger-than-life treasure. It seems like it's extremely well-crafted. It seems absolutely gorgeous. It seems authentic. It seems ancient. It just seems beautiful. Yet there's something dark and ominous about the box. Like, just by looking at it and touching it, you just feel this deep urge to want to open it like you just really 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 want to find out what's inside and the more you look at it the more that urge just seems to become more intense and the more you just want to open it no matter what the consequences might be yeah i'm going to gently shake it to see if it rattles a little bit you definitely feel like there are multiple separate objects inside i'm gonna slip it back into my purse because i don't trust myself to not open it in this car and release some hell Get out of the way. I've got a very important library emergency to attend to. To the parking lot. And um, so you pull into the parking lot and you find yourself standing outside the Grand Miskatonic Library. And it's huge. It's about three floors in, in height and it has authentic books on everything from history anthropology uh like everything like there's law there's medical like this school focuses mainly on like law medicine and history and this has all these like very like these volumes that are like one of a kind they even have those types of things like in cases and stuff like that they have like direct like actual artifacts of like the rosetta stone and like pieces of like these things that were used to actually translate yeah vellums and all that kind of good yeah. stuff 
it's very much like you 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 might expect. It's like a Ivy League school that is is so rich that they can purchase these artifacts, and and in some cases, at like the hands of Doctor Jones himself, might have even acquired some artifacts based on like hands on finds. Stole. No, I acquired these perfectly legally in the means of uh, it was Ray perfectly Robbie. all yeah, sectioned fine. It's everybody was really happy about it. everything I brought back. Well, who cares about them? This is 1926. <laughs> You're not wrong, but still. <laughs> I felt bad, but then they, they gave my department a grant. <laughs> yeah, I do not condone this behavior. Let me just say that outright. But yeah, it's 1926. It's 1926. Yeah, I get you. Oh, we got a fourth member of the party now. Drendu's here. <laughs> Oh, welcome. Who was that strange man? <laughs> it's just the janitor, man. Don't mind me. I'm just doing some sweeping and reassuring everybody I'm not a horrible colonialist. <laughs> you come up to these giant stone steps. They There's like 20 or 25 of them. They go all the way up to this big grand double door. On either side of these like giant railings are these big stone lions. I mean, this place looks regal in, in fashion. You go inside and it's like amazing. Like the, the Miskatonic University has been here for, you know, about 60, 70 years so far. And even even though it is a little bit old, like it's it is so well taken care of because they have so much money. Like the library itself even seems like something that people would like come travel to and see as like a like a tourist destination almost. Like it's like amazing. And you go inside and there's these two giant doors and you open them up and they have like these gold polished handles and everything. And you walk inside and there's like a receptionist at a desk and doors and stuff. Like it's like there's actually security uh like here in this building because some of the books are so valuable. So um you walk up and there are there is like a person sitting at a desk and you see a security guard off to the side and everything like that and there are doors before you can actually enter the main library. They immediately recognize Dr. Jones and um, they're just like, oh, good morning, Dr. Jones. Uh, how can I help you? Did you need something? I was looking to uh, it's the, I was looking to get an, a, an appointment to see my good friend whose name I've already forgotten. Oh, Henry something, was Hen it? <laughs> Are, you mean Dr. Armitage? That's the guy. The, the, head, the head book man. Yeah, the, the head librarian. Yeah, um... That's the, that's the guy, the head, the good book man. Sure, let me just go ahead and check our calendar really quick. She's looking through. She pulls out this piece of paper. She's thumbing through it. She's, like, licking her thumbs, flipping pages. And, uh... It doesn't, the kids. It doesn't seem that, um... Dr. Armitage has any appointments today. You made an appointment? No, I was asking if his schedule was free. I could go up and see him, maybe. I have some things that I want to discuss with him. Oh, well, of course, Dr. I mean, of course, as a professor at the university, you're welcome to explore the, the library any time. Um, I'm not really sure where he's at today. I don't think he's gone to lunch yet, but he doesn't have any appointments at the moment, so he might be free. Um, are oh, these students traveling well, with you? Yeah, we we're, we're working on a on a joint research project, and I would really like to get uh, Doctor Armitage's uh, input. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, go on. You know, go on in. If if you find him, um, you know, go say hi. I'm not really sure where he's at, though. I haven't talked to him since he got here this morning. Well, thank you very much. You've been very helpful and kind. We walk in. 
<laughs> yeah, just lead him straight to his office. I, pres- I guess I know where it is. So when you walk into this library, there are, and, and this is very uh, odd. Oh, this is the lady's bathroom. I'm so sorry. When you walk into the main door of like the bottom floor of the library, right past the reception desk, and the security guard kind of moves out of the way, having overheard the conversation and just seeing that you were allowed to come in and all that. And, and it's not like you need an appointment to go to the library. It's just they're watching to make sure no one's taking stuff. It's like in the in 1926, one of the only places, one of the very few places that there really is, you're really not allowed to smoke. Some of the things, some of these books are so valuable that there are actual signs posted saying no smoking allowed. And there are separate, like actual balconies on the upper floors of the library where people can go out to have a quick pipe or something. But it's like, a lot of these books are so valuable. They seriously are like, you can't smoke here. You can go cook in a restaurant and smoke the whole time, but you can't, can't smoke around these books. Um, and you walk in there and it's this massive library. You see this very open um, middle section. There is a giant globe in the center and like this, like built in kind of fountain. That's like this glorious, like stone and copper fountain in the middle of this indoor library. The way it's designed the must be terrible on the books. <laughs> Humidity can't smoke with this. And you build water feature. What kind of logic is that? <laughs> you see, um, you see, like you can see all three floors going up, and like there's like these railings, and it's like open to the different floors. You see, um, giant stairs to either side. There's on both sides, the right and the left, going up, and then you can access the different floors. But this room itself is like larger than most gymnasiums, and that's just the the floor itself. It seems like every floor is this tall, and you can see all the way up to the ceiling of the top of the third floor. And they have these this very nice glass paneling. There's all these like light fixtures and these um, different chandeliers and things like that. It's a very very nice looking place. And and like I said, there's there's plenty of books that are you're welcome to check out and touch. But there are also a number of books that are in glass display cases that are authentic um, value like volumes and some of them are so old that they're they're not even like traditional paper and leather they're made with like what is it vellum yeah they're like made of like vellum and stuff like that going back to like the 14 and 1500s um you actually see a literal copy of the exodar where the original beowulf script was written it is sitting there on display in front of you you could grab it right now and spend the rest of life in prison if you so chose (laughs) so Nobody touch that. You'll get into big trouble. You're you're gonna have to uh, keep track of Kiko because I am in heaven. Libraries are my place. Um, books are my thing. And like every two steps, I'm stopping to look at oh, the amazingness around. I I'm just gonna like push you along. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Like, but I, look at this one. No, 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 no. We have work to do, honey. But I've never been allowed in this library on my own before. Why? What did you do? Well, it's just a fancy one. No, what? We're students. Bear in mind, I have access to your academic file. Well, what did you do? <laughs> I could just find out. Look. What did you do? <laughs> look, I like looking at books. Oh, you've been touching naughty books. Maybe I'll look at ones I'm not supposed to. We don't have those kind of books in here. And we're going to keep you away from the anatomy section. Now, come on. we got to go see... Not those kind of books. (laughs) Yeah, the closest thing you can find to that kind of book would be a very very early rendition of the Karma Sutra. My goodness. 
We're going to stay well away from that. Now, come on. <laughs> so now that you're in the library, <laughs> what is your goal? Are you trying to find Dr. Armitage, or are you trying yeah. to find books that you could use to translate? Okay. Fine. Dr. Armitage. I could look for books while you look for him. No. <laughs> we'll never find right, you again. We're not splitting up. You don't split Three of you make a party. combined spot hidden check. Fine. Or actually, as actually, is Dr. Jones the only one that knows what he looks like? Spot hidden. So if that's the case, then maybe only Dr. Jones. I rolled a success anyway, so my spot hidden is 50 and I got 44. So Dr. Henry Armitage is a uh, a very posh elderly man. He's uh, very similar to your friend who's in the hospital. He's about 60, 70, like about 72 years old. He's a little bit younger than your friend in the hospital. He has exclusively white hair, a big, long, white, well-kept beard, a, a balding head, the kind of cul-de-sac type style with the white hair coming around the back. He wears glasses, these bifocals, and he's always, every time you've seen this man, he is dressed very professionally in a very nice suit, tie, the whole thing. You've never seen him in casual clothing. And as you're just kind of looking around and checking out all the different books and things, you do spot him uh, not too far. He seems to be sitting at like a desk and he has a couple books uh, himself that he's kind of pouring through seems like he has a pile and he's like he doesn't seem like he's reading them it looks like he's checking through them for something and then adding to the pile grabbing another one looking through them quickly adding it to the pile and he just seems to be over there by himself but undoubtedly it is the prestigious dr henry armitage completely not apropos of the fact that they're in a library um nevada pipes up doctor hello um, it's your good friend professor nevada jones i'm I, uh, how's your family? Dr. He Jones. looks up and he's like, he looks shocked almost like, what? And he looks at Jones, quiet down, we're in a library. You notice a few, a few oh, other my, people are I'm, like looking I'm around, so like there's other people like looking like what's going on. You're yelling pretty loudly. You see <laughs> a few sorry. people shaking their head. He comes over, he stands up and he's like, what? What is it, Dr. Jones? I, you were making quite the ruckus, young sir. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh. I got a little excited. We got a, we got something of a research quandary. I uh, wouldn't mind. Uh, I know you're something of uh, an Egyptologist. You, you can read those uh, hieroglyphics real good. I have studied um, the Egyptian hieroglyphs, and but haven't you as well? I I, I mean, I know we're not. I have, but my my grasp is uh, I. I it's, it's it's okay. I'm a kind of a layman when it comes to uh, hieroglyphs. Uh, we got a we got a rubbing here from an artifact. I was wondering if you could uh, take a look see and uh, see what you think. Maybe point us in the right kind of direction for these things. Sure. And, um, and he looks at the two of you and he's like, "Ladies, um, is there something I can help you with, or are She's you accompanying Doctor Jones here?" Uh, we're with Jones. Professor Jones, please. We're with Jones. Young lady, I can have, I can make you your life very difficult on campus. Would you like to go on academic probation, Doctor Jones? Please have an air of professionalism. Are you threatening me? Well, I would, I would like to be addressed by my title. I don't think that's a lot to ask. I'm Professor Jones. We're with Jones. God damn it! It's <laughs> nineteen twenty-six. <laughs> Do you 
have a copy of... Um, what, what do you mean you need to translate hieroglyphs? What is this for? Well, it's it's a kind of uh, academic research. I'm not. I don't want to give too much away. I uh, I got an important address to do for the uh, archaeological society, and I don't want to preempt my speech, you know. But I have come across this artifact, and uh, I would really like to understand what it says. Hey, his interest seems peaked suddenly. Really, you've discovered an artifact that needs translation. Hmm. Absolutely, and it's <laughs> Egyptian. You say. I believe so. Well, Dr. Jones, I shouldn't need to remind you, we're both members of the same staff here. We are on the same team. Do you happen to have the artifact with you? That sounds very interesting. Nope. Do not Unfortunately, have artifact the artifact is not in my possession at this time. I uh, just have this representation of it. like do persuasion? Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, yeah persuade. Can I help him? You can help persuasion. him. Yeah, you can help him because you were like, yep. Definitely not, though it probably only added don't, to the suspicion. Don't have it, nope. I am bad at persuasion. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a fa- that's a failure. Do you want me to roll persuasion? A failure? Yeah, my persuasion's 10 and I rolled a 59. And you're trying to persuade him that you don't have it with you. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I mean he's looking around like he's thinking, I don't know, like in his mind he's thinking how... Like, where could this thing be? Is it large? Obviously, you're not carrying it on you. And he's like, can I see the the artifact? I could help you with your translations if I could see what, what it is that I need to translate. Of course, I would need to reference the book. I'm not fluent. I don't think there's a, a man or woman alive that's fluent in ancient Egyptian, but I can probably find the answers you're seeking. Dr. Jones, if you would like to form some sort of team. I mean, I, of course, I don't want any credit. It's merely my curiosity. Are you telling me you can't do the job from this representation we have? I just, I... It's a beautiful piece of rubbish. He's like... Are you doubting my professionalism as an archaeologist now, doctor? <laughs> it's the voice, isn't it? It's my voice. You think because I have a strange, squeaky voice that I I can't do my job properly? Yes, no, I just I I I Oh, let me see that. Frankly I'm insulted, Doctor. He's suddenly very like he went from being suspicious to just seeing the rubbing, being like, What I Huh. Where did you find this? That's some nice rubbing. This is you have possession of this artifact. And he's looking at it, I, pulling I, up to the light, checking the rub. He's like very curious. All of a sudden, uh, just like enthralled. I believe I I could I could have it in my possession, but no, currently we don't. We don't. But you, what does it have say? Access to this actual physical object. You know where this is potentially. Can I look at? And you don't know what this is. I just no. I want to see what he was why we're here. looking at in the library doing research. I mean, clearly it's some kind of representation of a sarcophagus, but uh, what? I I don't understand the the the, the interest in uh, where we got it from. What is, what does it he say? He immediately starts like kind of walking away. Like, oh, uh, follow follow me, please. This is I don't think you understand what you have your hands on. If if what I believe is true, at least. And he starts making him way, like, beelining towards the stairs to go up to the second level. Okay. 
And he stops intermittently. He's like, come, come. Yeah, you can look at the book. Yeah, um, do a... Well, I guess you can just look at them. So it seems like he has a, a number of various Greek texts and then a whole bunch of Roman texts. And it seems like he has piles where there's like some that seem to be written. And, and you don't necessarily know what they say, but you could probably at least recognize what is Roman, what is Greek. And you know the different... And it seems like he has a pile of books that are undecided, and then he's like separating them. Um, all of them seem... It's interesting because all of them seem valuable in their own right. And he has completely abandoned whatever he was doing just from seeing the rubbing of what you, like, he seems so suspicious of whether or not you had this thing on you. And now just seeing the rubbing, he was immediately enthralled in it. And then he's like, come, come follow me. And he's like rushing off to upstairs, completely abandoning whatever he was doing at that table. All of you. Yeah. Nevada Jones is hot on his heels. He leads you upstairs, and he's like, "This way, this way!" And he takes you through this um, section of books all the way down. It's almost like a long hallway with like a corridor with these giant rows of ancient-looking books on both sides of you. Um, takes you down, takes the right, and then there is a display case. He quickly pulls out this key from his pocket, unlocks the display case, and he begins flipping through this book that itself must be a, a good three or four hundred years old. Um, it's not written in English, that's for certain. He's going through it, and it's like it's like this delicate-looking book, and he is flipping through it quite briskly. And he's, oh my, oh my God, it's just as I thought. And he shows you, and when he holds up the book, there's a whole bunch of scribblings in some sort of language that you don't know right offhand. Then you see a couple Egyptian symbols that are different from whatever the handwriting is, but are marked on the page, hand-drawn uh, Egyptian symbols. And then you see, in almost perfect detail, a drawing of the exact box that you have. He says, um, this is the, the, the Nopra Ka. It's, it's, it's an extremely ancient representation of, of the, the burial sarcophagi that were used during, during the third dynasty of ancient Egypt. The, the thing of the Nopra Ka is it's, well, this was the last time it was seen. The author of this book here described it in such detail as one of the most beautifully crafted things that he's, has ever been discovered, but it was stolen. The the man was murdered, and and well, that was oh, over five hundred years ago. But these scribblings, I'm sure of it. And he's looking at it. And if you have it, he's like showing you, and it's definitely those same symbols and that same image, and it, it looks identical to the thing that she is holding in her purse at this very moment, Professor. What is this then? I know it's a like what what did why why would they have something like this? What what was it for? I'm not sure. It just it was some sort of some sort of box used in some sort of ritual. The you see this volume itself is quite old. It is a, it is a, a Greek volume, and this man was the last to have ever seen such a thing. It was described in earlier texts. Texts so valuable i have never been able to have the pleasure of viewing them myself but it 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 was described as such one of the most beautifully constructed egyptian artifacts ever discovered but what is it just a pretty box is there i'm not sure i would love to find out well you have the book the book tells us things this is what we research for true but what does the book say about it the uh, it only says that it was the Neprakan that it was a 
Well, it, it, it's a sort of just a almost a like a representation of of what they would do. They would build these things in full scale, and only the the highest, the the pharaohs, the kings of kings, would be buried in these these boxes. Oh, absolutely! I, I do see the resemblance between that picture and you know the the things that uh, Carter dug up just a few years back. Those were fabulous. Yes, but it's the symbols. The symbols are what stands out. That is. The Neprika for sure. This one here, and he's pointing. This one means life. And and this one, it's, well, it's not a direct translation, but it more or less means a freedom of the soul. And this, this one represents the great river of death that one must swim through before, before being judged by Anubis, one of, one of the many gods of judgment and death. He, 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 surely you've heard of Anubis. He weighs the right, souls yeah. of the damned and decides if you go to the well, the the good place or the bad. This is the the river. I may be mixing my mythologies here. Is the river Styx, or is that a a Greek? <laughs> exactly. It's quite interesting. The Greek and Egyptian cultures cross over more than we even know. It seems every year we're finding more and more itself. They say Julius Caesar, he he himself, who of course is not of Greek origin, but he himself was also intertwined with the ancient Egyptians. Every year it seems that these cultures that we look at as so different to, than ourselves. They're perhaps not so different from our origins. Some even say they were dabbling in ideas of democracy. Well, democracy is a strange beast, isn't it? No, it's a system of political governance. It's not a not a beast at all. It comes from the ancient <laughs> Greek demos and kratos, which means power of the people, essentially. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's, let's so this is a we have a box. And we have uh, this. We have some idea of what's in this thing. Then so it's life and death and freedom of the He's soul. Freaking and... out about this replica. Well, unfortunately, this this book, as you can tell, is not a print. This is the real handwriting of the last man who's ever held this this artifact. And 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 though he does not describe its contents. It is it is the message that it carries. It is, it is only of this box that we have come to understand some of the complexities of the Egyptian culture. It's very valuable indeed. It details what, what, what they believed happened to you when you die, how your soul is judged. This is not... This is where we get those concepts. This is the earliest known box passed around for thousands and thousands of years. And now you claim to have it? Or your, your father or your uncle, you said? Um, New York, that's... <laughs> I'll drive to New York right now if it means I can lay eyes upon such a thing. It would be one of the most delightful experiences of my entire life. What's a few hours? Well, we'll call ahead and tell him you're coming, and you set off now. <laughs> Are you sure? I could send him a letter, or, or I could accompany you. Surely he's... I am a professor of the great Miskatonic University, head oh. of the library, one of the greatest in the world. Surely he I would mean, allow me to go, look at such no, a thing, if not I hold... Don't. Or touch, no, or study, or perhaps purchase. That's not a great idea. My, you want to fondle it? Works for somebody who's very powerful. Um, probably not a good idea to try and uh, get into his uh, his private collection. Well, you came to me. It forgive this old man for having a curious mind. I. I mean, I w I was. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. Really? Well, I wasn't really supposed to be 
talking about it with anybody, but my father keeps forgetting that I'm a simple um, engineering student and thought that I could get an insight from some teachers, which is why I went to Professor Jones here, who then was like, oh, hey, let's go talk to this guy. And I'm pretty sure that if we were like, oh, hey, uh, I have this other dude that wants to sniff it, buy it, whatever, I would be in trouble. What does it tell us about what happens to the soul after death? I mean, besides the, the being weighed by Anubis, does it, is there... I know there's something with a heart and scales and a feather? Well, the box itself does not reveal all of this all of this information, but we know from other sources that they say is, is the deeds of your life heavier than a stone or lighter than a feather. And if you are judged worthy, you go into a life an afterlife of, of bliss, so that when you are reborn you can walk this world as a king. But if your soul is of that of a rock from so many sins and the way you've treated your, your fellow mankind, well, you s spend eternity suffering. As with many religions, it's it's not so different than the, the Christian religion itself when you really think about it. Anubis is Peter, more or less. <laughs> Peter? Interesting. How revolting. Now, does it say anything about where that suffering happens? Well, you go to the to the underworld where you are berated by an army of demon-like jackals with various weapons and, and swords and scimitars and pikes and things. I'm I'm afraid I don't even even I my my study mankind itself isn't completely sure. A lot of the texts were destroyed or or never recorded at all or recorded only in stone. And though I would, but there's nothing about those those things coming here to wreak justice upon well i don't think so it's just <laughs> it's just culture surely well there are things in this world that we don't understand but surely not every belief is that of reality it's just beliefs exactly this has been my opinion the whole time <laughs> what happens if you open the box i don't i don't know i mean it's never been described I would, I would gladly open it myself just to be the, the I, I would be remembered in memoriam. I could be the first person to have written about such a thing in 500 what, years. But what if it just kills you right away? That. Then you're well, not writing all? about it. You're just dead. <laughs> it's just a box. <laughs> it's not well, Pandora. It might be Pandora. Who knows what sort of ills have been percolating in that thing over the ages, centuries could be gross. of the the germs that could be in there, the the pathog the the mold. Oh, yes, it could kill that, you. That is always a risk, but well. the knowledge, the things I could do, the things we could we could do for mankind. What is what do I have, 20 years on this earth? I would gladly perish if it meant contributing to the, the great knowledge that we have established as a as the human race. Professor, I will see if I can get a hold of my father and really? see if he that might would, let you look that at the That would be box. amazing. 
When? I could be ready by... I could be ready by three. Listen, I, I have to talk to him and see what he says. Well, don't keep an old man waiting. I've... <laughs> I'll hardly be able to sleep. Okay, I will. We'll send a telegraph. It'll be fine. <laughs> Faster than a letter. Yeah. I'll let you know as soon as I hear from him. And so, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm not going to do shit for this you guy. You just leave. Yeah, I gotta go talk to my father. Wink. He like starts to kind of follow after you, and then realizes he's carrying this like like 500 year old book, and he's like. He, like, goes back, like, reluctantly putting it into the case and stuff. Your first duty is to your books, Doctor. Goodbye. Say hello to Gladys for me. And, um, you start walking away as he is, like, it's like you can tell it by his body language that like, he wants to chase you down or something and, like, inquire more, but he's, like, has this, I don't know, like, his duty to keep all these books safe so he's like putting this thing away and reluctantly allowing you all to walk away so shall we open this thing I think we need to find a quieter space oh no I'm not no, saying right here no but uh, professor I think your office was in a fairly crowded area that didn't feel particularly safe no um I guess we could go to my place I, I think that would contravene several of my professional standards. All right. Well, well, is there anyone around? No. Would it look odd to have a professor? I have. I have my own. Room? I have my own place. Um, away from the campus. In the interest <laughs> of science, I guess we're going. So yeah, we're All gonna right. go well, over to um, the house I'm living in. Okay. Oh, <laughs> You walk back out uh, the main library, you go into the main reception hall, down the giant steps, past the lion statues, out into the parking lot, and to your car. And when you go to get in your car, you notice something a little bit, a little bit disturbing, certainly gross at the very least. There's a dead bird laying on the hood of your car, just hell, just where the windshield meets the hood, um, just where the windshield wipers are, there's a dead bird laying there. Why do birds always choose my <laughs> car to die on? I'm going to look at it. Okay. Does it look like a threat? Um, can I can I tell anything about how it died? Well, you can immediately tell that it's a crow. Um, and oh, it okay. seems to have visible, like, lacerations. Like, not lacerations, but, like, wounds where you can see flesh and blood. And it looks like it was... It doesn't look like it was, like, cut surgically or anything, but it looks like it either took some sort of dull trauma that killed it enough to break its flesh. So it could have simply fallen out of the sky. It could have also been purposely damaged in some way, but it's not like you see like symbols or anything carved into it, but it does seem like, mm. like a little bit bloody. It's not like clean. Is there anyone hanging around? You, well, it was a full parking lot. You had to honk to get that person out. There's a couple people you see walking. Most of them just seem like students and things. You don't, you don't notice anything off except for the fact there's this dead bird on your windshield. Nobody likes her. It's a large bird, too. I mean, stuff. a crow's not small, so seeing it is kind of like, mm. what's that thing on my... Oh, my God, it's this dead, like, bloody bird. Well, that's so sad, but also a bad omen, guys. I mean, I don't believe in omens, but I do understand that crows have significance <sighs> in some cultures, and, you know, it could have been placed here intentionally, or it could just be a dead crow. People have been killed for this box. The professor said people had died trying to find this box. 
Well, get get hold of it. And uh, he was asking if we had been followed. Perhaps there's people trying to get hold of the box somehow. They know that we have it. They're trying to scare us. Well, that would make more sense than some sort of supernatural I don't believe I don't believe that there's an ancient Egyptian god killing crows and putting them on my car. It's, it, it's probably some kind of dastardly. Yeah, some kind of brigands want to steal this uh, beautiful, beautiful Egyptian block. Anyway, we've got to get got to get out of here if that's the case. I'll uh, I'll reach into my satchel. I've got my science kit, and I'm sure I've got some forceps in it. And I'll use that to remove the bird. Just have forceps. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> so you, please it. don't do an autopsy on the hood of my car. <laughs> <laughs> Look. <laughs> it says that I have a satchel with a small science kit. And when I was doing my degree, I kept my dissection kit in my bag at all times. I took, for some reason, they didn't have so weird. metal. I'm old. They didn't have metal detectors when I went to the bars. And so it didn't matter that I had my scalpels and forceps in my purse. <laughs> Razor sharp with his scalpel blades. Wait, you have metal detectors at bars? Well, they do now at some places. The only additional information you gather from grabbing it and moving it is that it's not... Poking around with this dead crow. It's not like... Uh... <laughs> In a like in a comatose, what is it? In a, it's not in like it's not like it's not rigor mortis, though. Yeah, there you go. It's not like rigor mortis okay. yet. It seems it's freshly dead. Seems like it. it died sometime recently. Yeah, interesting. S still warm. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'll set it on the ground and get in the back of the jalopy. And I bet it was that damn Danny Jeffers. <laughs> that kid's nothing but trouble. So you get in the car, and where are you heading to? My place. And you said that's off campus? Yeah. Is that, um, which direction? Do you happen to live toward Dross's Corner, which is the sure. more uh, rural side of town outside of the, right outside of Arkham, and it is also the same town where the farm, it's about mm, 18 miles away. Yeah. I've heard of it. It's not as far as Dunwich, but it's it, it's it's out there in the boonies a little. Yeah, so I, it's about 18 miles. That might be kind of far to drive. You probably live about halfway there. Yeah. Um, a lot of people refer to that entire region anytime as soon as you leave, like, the urban and then the suburbs and you start getting to the rural area. A lot of people call that Ross's Corner, even though Ross's Corner itself is truly just the intersection in the center of this very small town that it, it doesn't even, like, on their mail, it doesn't even have their own town name. It's like they're they're part of Arkham, but it's called Ross's Corner because it is like that small in terms of just not being a busy location, even though it's a very large plot of land. There's just not much there. You might see, you know, there's just the 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 crossing, the Ross's uh, Corner where there's like the little downtown area. And other than that, there's not much out there. Yeah, there's like a store, a mail, like a mail place, a police station, but it's very small. Um, So you drive about. You know, 30, 40 minutes or so, you make your way about halfway to Ross's, to true Ross's corner, and you find, actually not 30 or 40 minutes, that's kind of ridiculous, but you drive like 20 minutes and you get to her house, and sure enough, she has this nice house where she's able to live alone and doesn't have to worry about roommates or anything because she lives a little bit further away from the main uh, college campus, and she has her own house. Uh, she's probably a, well, you're a grad student, right? So you've 
You're so like a regular student? Just a student. Doesn't say grad student. I'm 19 years old, but my dad works with a gangster, so I figured I have money. Okay. So yeah, you guys uh, pull up to her house, and it's a nice house. It's just the area itself is a little boring. It doesn't have much to offer in terms of entertainment, but the house itself is pretty nice. You live in this like wooded lot in the, this this old wooden house, and you guys go inside, and you certainly you certainly would know if you were being followed at least by a car yeah. uh, out here, and it would be really hard for someone to keep up on foot. Um, so, you know, you pull up, and yeah, you haven't seen a car for the last ten minutes or so. Cool, pull right cool. up to your house. It's a very desolate area. I want to have you pull into like a little like garage area that I have. I was going to say, it'd probably be quite unusual for most people to see cars at all. Yeah. Like, in 1926, there won't be very many around. Yeah, it's not very many. It'd be conspicuous to leave it out in yep. the open. I mean, anyone that goes to the Miskatonic University comes from money. It's yep. very expensive. Yep. But I, uh, I'll have you pull in somewhere so you can hide your car so that if somebody is looking specifically for your car, they can't find it as easily. Okay. Yeah, you're able to pull in pretty easily obviously there's not like an electric receiver or something but you can manually open this garage door and then pull the chain to shut it back down and now you find yourself in this darkened garage um yeah you're able to you know obviously you have access electricity but you see you have lights and stuff inside but you're in this garage in in her house to the two of you it might seem strange but it's home for her we're gonna go into the house and then we're going to, I'm going to shut the curtains and lock all the doors. Well, lock the door. The rest of the place should be locked down anyway. Okay. So yeah, you're sitting in the, what, the kitchen or the living room. Yeah, we'll go kitchen. You're in the kitchen and pull down the blinds. Make sure the doors are shut. You're confident that no cars were following you. You're inside your house. You kind of walk over and flick on the main light right above the kitchen table. I, I'll take the box out of my purse and put it on the table. There's the box. We're going to interrogate the shit out of this box. All right, you're sitting there, and now that there's direct light hitting it in such a darker, otherwise dark space, because you didn't go around and turn all the lights on, you're thinking, it, it, this is like gold. Like, this is like a solid gold box. The way it's sparkling under the light and everything, and, and like, it's almost like kind of soft in a way. Um, and, and, and that same delicate, like you think if you chucked it at the ground, you could dent it. Like it's, it's cause you know, gold is quite malleable. Yeah. Um, but now that you're sitting there, you're, you're pretty certain like this isn't just gold plated or gold leaf. This is probably solid gold. And then the lapis that's painted on there, um, that traditionally people would melt down copper, mix it with lapis, give it and make this very beautiful coloring and then use that to like paint and do like inlets or inlaid art and stuff like that and that's exactly what this is this thing has inlaid rubies inlaid lapis lazuli um different just different minerals and things that are valuable in their own right and yet there's something about it that you just don't quite trust it seems to have some sort of negative quality to it something about it just seems wrong and yet it's so curious so, what do you want to do? I'm going to open it. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Dice Talk. I know that it wasn't even close to the same type of format that you might be used to, but I do hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. We really had a blast playing through this. The next episode that we release will be a normal Dice Talk episode, but we will release um, the rest of this Call of Cthulhu story sometime in the upcoming few weeks. So if you did enjoy it, please keep your eyes and your ears peeled on the podcatchers so that you can catch the rest of the story in the future. Uh, I would like to do a special shout out to Tabletop Audio. Tabletop Audio made the music that I use for the background on this podcast and that I'll continue to use for the rest of this series. I couldn't have made it nearly as high quality as I did without Tabletop Audio, so please go check them out. They're awesome. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you're not missing any of our episodes. Make sure that you are on our Twitter, on our Instagram, on our Facebook, so you're catching all of the updates. Um, I'm very active on the Instagram and the Twitter, especially. Also, you can go to MajesticGoose.com. That's the podcast network. And you can check out all the other shows. They're all Dungeons & Dragons and tabletop related. We have multiple actual play podcasts like Halfway to Heroes, One Shot Onslaught. Now we have Shitty Cowboys. We also have Roll for Weird, which is a Monster of the Week podcast. I am on there. Jerundu is on there. Also, Danny and Rachel from today's episode are both characters on there. So if you want to check out a horror-themed actual play podcast, please go check that out. Um, That's all I have for you this week. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will catch you next time with a normal Dice Talk episode. See you guys. The Majestic Goose Podcast.